Welcome to the sixth episode of The Grappling Arts, a podcast dedicated to celebrating the art of professional wrestling. On this week's episode, myself and Claire are joined by one of the UK's most acclaimed and compelling villains, Spike Trevay. We discuss Spike's acting background, the origins and inspiration for the Trevay character, as well as the intersections between wrestling, cinema and theatre. We also cover Spike's seminal feud with Cara Noir in Resurgence, as well as his work for Brighton promotion Riptide. Spike has some fascinating takes on wrestling, especially regarding character development, storytelling and the importance of collaborating with wrestling promotions. I would highly recommend this episode to any wrestlers looking to develop their in-ring persona. We hope you enjoy the episode as much as we enjoyed recording it. If you do, please subscribe and please leave a review. Yeah, but this should be fun tonight anyway. Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, I, I, I kind of, ex- you know, there's some some pretty interesting things, I think. Um, I know a little bit about his kind of acting background, um, but not a huge amount. Yeah, agreed. Me too. I knew that I know that's his background, but I think that's probably all I do know. I'm not sure I know any more than that, actually. Um, so that'll be good. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, there's some interesting stuff. The clips from um, Sherlock and Django Unchained are pretty interesting. Very interesting. Um, yeah. so good to get him to, to talk about that. Um, I might bring those up, actually, for reference. Yeah, like, it, actually, it... it it helped me to, so I've always like loved the Spike Trevay character, loved, hated the Spike Trevay character. And I think it's one of the reasons that you talk about in here, which is something about like um, him being one of the most sophisticated characters on the UK circuit. And I think that's absolutely true. And I think that that is when I watched, especially the Sherlock one, actually, when I watched Moriarty, I was like, oh, right. Yes, of course he's like Moriarty, <laughs> like kind of clever and witty and you really don't like him, but you really do like him. Like at the same mm-hmm. time, that sort of character. It's really, um, yeah, I, I found, I found them really helpful to understand more about the Trevay character. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's, um, and I'm quite interested in that idea of, um, of, of character and gimmick um, mm. because often wrestlers talk in you know, fairly, interesting but not well once you've heard a few wrestlers talk in the same way about character it becomes not so yeah. interesting yeah um that idea of sort of oh it's just me ramped up to whatever is, is ramped up to thing. 11 isn't that what isn't that what always um, yeah that's the sort of cliche stone response, cold always said yeah it um, is a cliche but the more i think about it because i remember like having having this sort of conversation with tom at the round table and he was saying like actually my character is really different from me like yeah. really different. Um, and actually, I, I, I always thought that characters in wrestling were the person ramped up to 11. But actually, the more I talk to wrestlers, the more I think that's probably a cliche that doesn't really match up to reality. It does in some ways and for some wrestlers. But for a lot of wrestlers, it really doesn't at all. They're like taking on an entirely different persona from their own. I know Shikara would say that. Like, she, I don't think Shikara would say, oh, it's, my, it's me ramped up to 11. She takes on like an entirely different character from who she is you know um there's quite quite a lot of those people on the british scene i think who choose something a bit different like use it to kind of really uh kind of create new character and do different things so yeah agreed so as an aside after that sherlock and moriarty as i recall like come off the building and my next door neighbor's the stuntman for it 
<laughs> really? Yeah. So he's Benedict Cumberbatch's stuntman. Amongst other things, by the way. He's a stuntman in general, but he is Benedict Cumberbatch's stuntman. He was also the stuntman for Matt Damon in, like, that space film. What's that space film called? Anyways. Oh, the one where he goes um, to Mars. Mar yeah, The Martian. Yeah, so um, there's yeah. some quite fun pictures of him with Matt Damon and stuff. So, yeah, so there we go. That's my, that's my little... It's my little connection with that. I always think of, I always think of him. It looks quite similar to him, I think. So, um, like physically, quite similar to Benedict Cumberbatch. So that helps. Yeah. What's the don't Django Unchained? I'm just look, I'm looking at the, I've, the name of the actor's completely gone from my head. So I'm just going to actually remind me. The main actor. Yeah, the guy, the 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 bad guy. The, As in DiCaprio. DiCaprio, yeah, that was yeah. what left my mind for some reason. <laughs> like which oh okay that one <laughs> um yeah yeah and again like i was struck in that clip about i mean i won't kind of ruin it but like struck by the way that like leonardo DiCaprio in that film like has kind of such control it's about tempo is what i realized when i was watching those two and then watched the other stuff that simon sent to us like it's about it's about the tempo of the performance like mm. it's, it's about like you, you have to have this certain this certain tempo to get a sense of like the danger yeah, yeah. you know the menace and that's where i saw the sort of similarities yeah. like it was about like you, you there was a fear there but the fear wasn't brought about necessarily by kind of shouty shouty it was brought about more like about okay. the about the kind of cadence that's the word i'm looking for cadence yeah. i might ask you to dig to to lead a bit of that um area of discussion because i know obviously you've written the um you wrote the essay about talking and wrestling and the yeah and yeah. promos and things like that so i think that'd be quite yeah and language and stuff which is yeah. really important yeah i think i think that's um, a good conversation to be had there yeah and there are some like classic lines that i mean that the the spike cara which is one of kind of my classic resurgent resurgence matches as you know like there's a really classic line about like um I'm going to turn you into foie gras. Like just really, like really kind of memorable lines mm. that feel film-like to me, as opposed to more like wrestling, like more in, in the midst of the wrestling, obviously in promos, you get, you get memorable lines all the time, but in the actual match, you rarely get memorable lines from wrestlers. Whereas in that match, there are loads of memorable lines. That I, mm. You know? Yeah. And there's the whole, you're a man, um, you're a man and not a particularly good one. Tom. Tom. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one that sticks <laughs> out. The for break me. that works so well. Yeah. No, it'd be, it'd be between the not particularly about. good one. Tom. Yeah. 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 That'd be great. Yeah. And especially working with, um, with Kara where Kara is a silent character. So there's something really yes. interesting there, isn't there? You've got, yeah. you know, this fantastic, um, well, Spike, one of Spike's real strengths being his vocalization, and then you've got him pitted against a silent character. I've never really thought about that, but that's, um, there's something really interesting about that. Yeah. Normally, you would put, you think, you, often it's like the wrestler, wrestling fans or followers of wrestling will kind of hold up, you know, two great microphone people sparring on a microphone, but in this case, it's a silent character. And a, so, this is one character. day I will write that article about silence i mentioned it super briefly in that chapter where i'm like i'm really interested in silence because silence in wrestling is is absolutely fascinating when it's used and when it's not used is just really really interesting um i think in that chapter 
I talk about the Nexus invasion in relation mm. to that. I think I can't quite recall, but there is a bigger project. There is a bigger um, chapter one day. Well, not never time soon. I have to say, but one day will be written about silences in wrestling. Mm. It uses yeah. Heide- it uses Martin Heidegger actually, which I won't talk about today. But <laughs> it's kind of a mad connection of of like Mar- I think it has Martin Heidegger become Bakhtin in wrestling. So it's it's quite bonkers, but. <laughs> Um, you know, one day we'll write it. I mean, you're welcome to bring Heidecker, Heidecker into the class. <laughs> I don't think we need to bring Heidecker up. It's fine. <laughs> Our probably fairly small. Le- uh, yeah. <laughs> that's a that's a that's a very tiny audience. People who know something about Heidegger and wrestling is it? It's, it's quite it's quite a small portion of that Venn diagram. I yeah. Think. <laughs> Yeah, that'll probably be the point in which our uh, our, our listenership drops off. <laughs> yeah, totally right. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Hello, friends. Hello. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. How are you? Good. Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm pretty good. Good to see you both. Good to see you too. How are you? you okay, what's going on? I look very spotty, don't I? <laughs> I wasn't anticipating looking spotty. Thank God this is just, we're not filming this, are we? We're only well, doing not... audio, you're okay. Yeah, <laughs> audio only. Yeah. I also, seem to have, I also seem to have receded hairline wise a lot in lockdown. I don't really know why. Just, uh, <laughs> are you guys okay? How are you doing? Yeah. Um, Claire, do you want to go first? Yeah, pretty good. Um, just saying that life is really chaotic. But other than that, like all good chaotic, but chaotic nonetheless. Yeah, so good. yeah, pretty pretty good, I think. Yeah. Mm. How about you, Sam? How are things? Yeah, I'm still ticking over. I've been working from home on the doctorate since March. So. Oh, okay. Were you yeah. going to be at home doing that regardless? Or would you have been in an office I, w- I would have been on campus, yeah. Um, I think uh, sort of... PhD students and things are probably the last people to to return in many ways because certainly in my case there's not a necessity for me to be on campus you know I don't need to access equipment or anything like that so um no yeah nice and then, for you to go on campus though I imagine sorry nice for you to go on campus though I imagine I imagine yeah that, that, that would be the ideal situation yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but yeah. at the same time, no, I kind of got used to it. And Nottingham was in a bunch of restrictions as well, additionally. So, um, no, no even, right. yeah. But we'll see. Hopefully next year we'll start to get back to some kind of normality. Possibly. Yeah, I hope so. Um, how about yourself? How's, um, how's lockdown been treating you? Um, yeah, it's all right, isn't it? It's okay. It's a bit... Um, I, yeah, fine. I mean, the thing that I, I just find overwhelmingly frustrating is that it's just you can't you go outside and there's just no social evidence of lockdown at all. There's, you know, like if I I don't know where, about where you guys are, but uh, you know, I just I I where I struggle with it is I resent it being called a lockdown because if I go out of my house, there's just people everywhere and there's no there's no people everywhere. The only things that we can't do are the fun, are the fun stuff. But everybody else, but everybody's doing what everybody's, you know, walking along the streets are crowded. There's no queues outside the shops. If there's anybody, everybody's allowed. There's no social distancing at all. It's just, it's just like, well, I should have just left the gym open. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. should have just, 
should have just left the gym open. Like, why didn't you just do that? If, if, if it doesn't matter and everybody can just do whatever they want. But, you know, my, my personal, you know, frustrations are not yeah, comparable. It's annoying, to, I think. I think it's annoying when you feel like, you know, other people aren't really playing ball and, and, and you are. <laughs> that can be quite a frustration, yeah. I think. <laughs> I speak as someone Very. who's basically been yeah. in like isolation since March. So, um, I, oh, have you really? And that's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we've, we've sort of been, I, I, I go into my only social life really this whole period is I occasionally teach a class which is fun and then that's it so um, <laughs> I teach a class of six with like five meters social distancing and all in mass and PPE and then I go home and that's 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 it that's social life <laughs> so yeah, yes yeah. my world has got very small in this period <laughs> yeah, yeah it's so funny the things that you end you find yourself looking forward to isn't it now <laughs> yeah. you know yeah it's like oh great totally. oh, okay we're gonna have to play scrabble with tk cooper again you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> oh who wins he wins every time <laughs> he wins every time he's just one of these people who like i don't really know how to explain it he's he's like whenever we have like meetings to do with ambush or anything that's sort of like I don't know. I get. I, uh, this is, I don't. I don't want it to sound like weird or, uh, you know, sort of grandiose. But whenever we, whenever we have, whenever like we have to have like ambush meetings or like story-based meetings or anything academia-based, for whatever reason, he will come. He like asks me, and he's like, "What do you think? Tell me what you think." And you know, and he asked me about like he's doing some stuff at RevPro, and he was. Or like, well, there's some stuff with progress coming up, and he's like, "What's the right way to do this?" And I'm like, "I think it's this," and he's like somebody else will come in and interrupt and whatever and then he's and he's there like no shh, simon carry on finish what you're gonna say do you know what i mean but when it just comes to just everything else he just annihilates everybody it's just really frustrating just one of these people like he's just excellent at video games really good at board games really good at sports never drops a ball always in the right play do you know what i mean it's he's just it's just he's just one of the like really like can play the guitar really good at magic tricks do you know what I mean? Just, just yeah. really good with his hands. Like I'm pretty sure he can solve a Rubik's cube very quickly. Do you know what I mean? He's just like one of those kind of people, and it's so frustrating. And he does it like, <laughs> I think he did it with a Rubik's cube once, and he's like this, and I'm just like, and I'm like, Are you? And I'm like, you can't complete that. And he's like, and he completed oh. it, and as he's like, he's like, I'm like, you can't complete that. And he's like, boring like that. And I was like, yeah. you know. That's such a great like, image of you guys playing Scrabble. I, I really mm -hmm. will. I enjoy that very much. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So what's, uh, what's, what's happening today? I really like the breakdown was pretty interesting. Yeah. So um, it'll be quite, I think, a, a similar conversation to the one we had with Jean last week. Um, whereas previously we've, we've had kind of two guests and we've sort of... Um, taken a kind of theme for each of those episodes whereas with these ones i think it's a little bit more of the kind of traditional um start with some background how you got into wrestling um which i think for, for me it was a, a little bit of a cliche when it comes to podcasts but actually i found it really interesting um hearing about that i continue to find that really interesting how how people got into wrestling as as, as fans as much as like actually getting into into being a wrestler um, but then, yeah, then some, well, we already had a bit of a pre-chat about um, some of the stuff you sent us, like the, the Sherlock clips and the uh, Django Unchained clips. Um, 
and so it'd be great to talk about the role of dialogue in your in your wrestling practice your vocalization and promos um claire actually wrote an essay on um wrestling promos so i'm going to kind of yield to her expertise a bit in that area we'll... <laughs> thanks sam <laughs> no that's cool yeah. i'll put her I on think, spot i think there that my mother gave me a book on wrestling before resurgence had even begun when i first started wrestling and i think and I think the first part of it at least was written by you, I believe. Yeah, my, maybe. So like Performance of Professional Wrestling was the book. We did it in 2016. So yes. um, yeah. yeah, there we go. Yeah. So yeah, I, co I co-edited it with a couple of mates. And um, we, we, called like The Dissipation of Heat or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So, so yes. we, yeah, we, we still, I think like still pretty proud of that book, actually. Like it's been a, a while now, but it's sort of, um, I think one of the nice things about it is that um, it's appealed to wrestlers. It's kind of surprising. I thought it would only appeal to people in like academic performance studies departments, but I've had a lot of like wrestlers or trainee wrestlers or like wrestling fans email me and say, thanks for writing, which kind of came as a bit of a surprise really, because I wasn't expecting it to have quite such a crossover appeal, but you know, um, yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's nice. I mean, in many ways it was the, yeah, yeah, it was the trigger for... Um, resurgence as well wasn't it mm -hmm. it was that it was on the back of the book coming out that me i think john was bought the book very much like you um as, as a gift i think uh, around that time that it came out and that was the that was the point in which we got in touch with you and everything sort of started off in motion didn't it yeah that's right yeah yeah um yeah should we, should we delve into some some of this then yeah sure. um so firstly i want to just um I wondered if you could just tell us how you first found wrestling or discovered wrestling as a fan. Um, uh, I think the first, I, mean, I know the first time that I, uh, I found, I discovered it. I discovered it when I was 12 when I was in, uh, I discovered it when I was 12 and I was on holiday in, in Portugal and I was in a friend's, I was in a friend's uh, villa and uh and he put it on and um and the the sort of first time i discovered it is kind of twofold special because the first one was sort of the the first part because the, the the first part of why it was kind of very special was 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 the obvious part which was like what what is this you know like that the kind of like standard kind of thing that everybody i think when like young rest, wrestlers when they're young think stuff like, what is this this is unreal like I think the first, because the first, the first thing I ever saw was, it was like, uh, what was it? It was like, uh, I think it was like Smackdown or, or even Velocity. I think it was something like that. And um, it was Test in the ring. And then this really horrible, arrogant little man comes out onto the stage and he, put, can he, get, he gets a mic up and he says, and he, I can't remember, obviously I can't remember the word for what I said. It was you know, 18 years ago, but he's like, but he says, um, but he basically says, you, and he's basically like, you stay away from my sister. You cannot be part of my family. You are not worthy to be my sister. You're not worthy to, to, be, to be a McMahon. And I was, and, I, and obviously it turned out to be Shane. And I was like, people solve their problems like this? What, what is this? And then he sent <laughs> down, I think it was like Pete Gas or something, and then from the Mean Street Posse. And so the first match I ever saw was that. And needless to say, I don't, really remember that match but I do remember I just remember 
that I remember I remember just being like what like what is this why was he you know like that guy's you know that guy's a dick you know like and you know so I remember feeling that visceral feeling but um sort of up until the second part of why it was my discovery of wrestling was kind of so special to me was that um I making friends is not is through my life is not is not it was not part of my natural skill set i've had to work very very hard at it and i find it very difficult uh, i get very very anxious in social situations and i and i've always been that way and to me making friends is a skill that i've had to learn over over like you know, essentially two and a half decades um, and back then my tactic was you like that oh well i like yeah i like i like that too you know like do you you like football no i love football yeah i really, yeah no yo-yos love them you know like it was it was like that and uh my that was kind of my tactic and obviously it, it didn't really work because eventually they would sort of like pry into what i knew to get further and i'd be like oh i, I don't know anything and um you know and it would become apparent that i don't like it and um when he turned wrestling on i was like no yeah this love wrestling <sighs> love it and then i watched it and i was like oh no i think i no i think i do quite actually quite like this and then and then i would watch it more and more and then i suddenly discovered that like and then i discovered that it was it wasn't about like life wasn't about liking things to make friends with people life you know my you, you know you could like things just because you like them and then that's how I ended up meeting people. There's that thing, I think we have it all through our lives, don't we? when you meet somebody who's into wrestling or whatever, and they're like, you like wrestling? Yeah, me too. Oh my God, let's go be friends in the corner. You know, like, <laughs> let's go be friends in the corner. Come on, you know, and so it kind of uh, was, to me, it really opened, it really opened a door to me, uh, I don't know, just having more faith in the things that I like, I guess, and, and uh, and it was, I think it was the first step to me kind of discovering who I was as a person, which is kind of pretty, pretty significant. I ever really saw it. And then I went home and just watched it loads and, and then made loads of friends based off of it. Um, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I can certainly relate to a few, few aspects of that. Um, obviously I think for, for us living in the UK, wrestling wasn't kind of, um, something that everyone was a fan of um and like you say when you met that person that that was a fan it was like oh wow there's actually someone else out there that that's into this very strange niche totally, thing. yeah totally and 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 on some level and some level you both you know you both know that it's predetermined we even knew it was predetermined when we were young right because you know the secret was out but you're still like quite willing to suspend your disbelief even in a private conversation between the two of you you know you're even willing to be like i know i can't believe you won you know like or whatever and then uh you know it's pretty yeah it's pretty special isn't it i mean it's, it's no wonder that the the wrestling fan community is so tightly bonded to each other you know they're such they're all such great friends with each other because they're all sort of bonded by this really bizarre sort of weird niche thing that uh yeah it's just um it's just, it's just very odd, isn't it? It's just a really bizarre, it's just a very bizarre art form. But yeah. Um, without, without skipping too far forward, because I want to talk a little bit about your background in the performing arts. Mm -hmm. at, at that first kind of, um, those first engagements with wrestling, were you kind of um, already sort of interested in theatre and, and drama and performance and things like that? Or 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, I, yeah, I'd, I'd had uh, an interest in it from very young, since I was about uh, six or seven. Um, I, my fam, my my school did a production of the Pied Piper, and I was a townsman. I had like a long, uh, you know, a long gown. I was like a member of a Victorian council. And the, do you remember, did you guys have on your, in your school, you had like uh, wooden block stages, you know, like the mm. stage was wooden cubes and it was all lying. You haven't would you have those. And yeah. um, we had one of those uh, where we had a stage made of that. And my, I remember my, my teacher came up to me and he was, and she was like, you, you stay in that square. You're not allowed to come <laughs> out of that square. Stop it. You know, and uh, cause I couldn't help it. I couldn't help it you know, improvise and do things and walk around and all that kind of stuff. And then a person uh, who's a great friend of my family who sadly very recently passed away, approached my dad and said, is that your son? And he said, yeah. And she said, um, and she said, you should have him pursue that. You should, you should have him, you should have him pursue that because he's got something. He's just, he's the only one up there really having fun. Mm-hmm. So you should, you should definitely make him do that. And then my dad, had very unsupportive parents so he went way too far with it and then put me into like all these different like put me into all these different dance classes that I really didn't want to do and you know stuff like that and you know so he went he was really over supportive but yeah no it's always been part of my life really and then and then wrestling came along and then I wanted to be a wrestler and that was sort of uh kind of I was gonna say beaten out of me. it wasn't beaten at all but it was sort of stamped out of me the sort of desire to be a wrestler. My dad said it was that wrestling was ridiculous and none of my teachers would support it. And I didn't know that world of sport even existed. So I didn't, um, you know, I had no idea that wrestling even had like a history in this country. I didn't even know there was a place to go. It was just this mental thing across the Atlantic, you know, that I couldn't get to. I hope hope that's the right sea. Is it the right scene? Yes, it is. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah, you're so, good. <laughs> oh, no. I was, like, I was like, are they just being polite? Uh, yeah, but it was, you know, it was just this mental thing. So I just, I just let it go and just uh, went into acting instead. And that was kind of my goal until I was 26. Um, can you, so to move on to that, that stage then, um, can you just talk us, give us a little bit of overview of your your background, your acting background? Because um, obviously it was quite serious, like the, the extent to which you trained and things like that. Yes, yes, yes. So, um, so I, um, so I, um, so I, I did, I did, uh, I did drama and I did productions all the way through school I was always in school productions um and then I auditioned for drama school the year that I left school and I only got one callback to Rose Bruford and I was absolutely devastated because I was like the best because I was like in inverted commas I was, I was like the best actor in the school so I was absolutely gutted and I only, so I only got one recall to Rose Bruford and didn't get in and then I went to and then I managed to get into a foundation course at this place called the Cambridge School of Visual and Performing Arts, uh, which was a, a year foundation course in association with RADA. And uh, which was, it wasn't really a RADA foundation course. I like to tell people it was a RADA foundation course, but it wasn't. It was this really rich college. You know, it was a private college and it was an international college. And it was basically 
this college basically were just like had this agreement with RADA that was like, can we just send you a little bit of money? Well, a lot of money. And then we just get to use your name. And every now and again, you can just send us some practitioners. So, it, so I did that. And, uh, and that was very good. It was run by a woman called Jean Stewart, who uh, was a great inspiration to me and um, a guy called Chris Lane and a woman called Rebecca Cuthbertson. And they, and, and they just treated it as a spring ball to get into drama school. And so I did that year course. And then the next year I got, and then the next year I auditioned to drama school and I got into six drama schools and I uh, chose, and I got into the one that I wanted to go to. Uh, which was Drama Centre London. And I went to Drama Centre London. Uh, uh, and I was there from 2009 to 2012. Uh, and I did the BA course. Um, and I graduated with I graduated with a with a first and left there and then had a kind of pretty so my, and all of that was extremely successful and very fun. And I always had main parts and I was really, I was, a, I was always had main roles and I was well respected in the school. And I was the, I was the valedictorian and I had, uh, uh, yeah, I was the valedictorian and I was on the school council and I helped pit and I was, I helped pit. Uh, I was on the audition committee. Like I was very, very, very involved in, in school. And it was, it was really sort of my blood and sweat. And I loved that place so much. It's really, really sadly recently closed down, which I think is really heartbreaking. And, um, and then I left and went into acting. And that was just a completely different ball game. And that was a completely different ball game. And I had, uh, and I wasn't prepared for it at all. And uh, just had, wave far too many bad experiences in terms of uh agent meetings and casting directors and and uh people sort of engaging in what i would i used to refer to i still refer to it as sort of actor torture you know this sort of weird this weird uh sort of thing that i remember just being on a i remember just being on a student set of a of a of a of a student film and I was there and I found it, it was called Casting Call Pro that I, I had gone on and got this part. I think it's called Mandy.com or something now. And I remember standing on this set and it was really nice and I was in a really great costume and there was cameras all around me. And I remember just being, and I remember st standing there and being like, I'm pretty sure that director of photography is being paid. I'm pretty sure this costume design is being paid. I'm pretty sure that this set design is being paid. Why the fuck am I not being paid? And then I, and then, and then when I queried as to why they were being paid and the actors weren't being paid, the answer was exposure. And, uh, and I came across that answer too many times. And then, uh, yeah, and then had a meeting with a very horrible agent called Shane Collins, who just completely, who completely, who just invited me in just to sort of, just to mock me for an hour and a half pretty much. And, and I walked out into the sun and I was like, I need to find something else to do because I can't do this anymore. I can't, I can't, you know, I was, just, I was 25 and I was like, I can't, I can't waste the next five years of my life. I got five years of my life. I can't waste the, I can't waste the next five years of my twenties doing this anymore. So then I tried to find something else. And that was when I uh, found the Projo and went to the Projo to do that.
I think that sense of like artists not being paid is one of the things that drives me absolutely nuts. Like the sense that you're just like doing it for exposure or like for quote unquote the fun of it, like just drives me absolutely crazy. So um, yeah, no, I totally, yeah, see that. It's a real, it's a real joke and it's like, it's a real joke. And now if I find, you know, and that's when, if if I come across it in the wrestling industry, I don't have any time for it at all. Luckily it's not there very much. Um, luckily it doesn't really happen in the wrestling industry as much but um, yeah this because you know this thing of like it's it's exposure and you're like it's not it's not exposure it's not fucking exposure you know that I love this and you know that I want to do it and you know that I want to do it more than I want to get paid but it doesn't mean that the amount that I want to get paid is zero you know what I mean like yeah but we have that conversation because sadly, it means that if I leave, there's another person who's exactly like me who will do exactly the same thing the second I walk out this door. And there's a chance that person might not say anything. Yeah. Probably won't say anything. So, and I just, I just had enough of that. I just couldn't, I, I was just, I couldn't. And I wasn't prepared. I was too young. I was too young, really. And, uh, I, you know, drama school didn't prepare me for the industry at all. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it was, you know, it was good. And hopefully when wrestling's over, I can go back to it. That would be great. Um, before just move, before moving on to delve into wrestling in a, in a bit more detail, throughout this um, training process and this, um, this journey through, through acting and drama school, was wrestling something that you held on to throughout that? Were you a kind of fan or did you drop in and out of it? My friend, my flatmate, me, uh, he was called Steve, uh, my flatmate and me really liked wrestling and we talked about wrestling a lot. Um, but it was more just, you know, talking about whether it was more just talking about whether the Montreal screw job was real and, um, you know, stuff like that. And, uh, you know, talking about, uh, you know, stories and stuff. Um, but no, not, not really. I was, I was very focused on, I was very, very focused on, drama school at the time was sort of my only it was only my only real focus it wasn't until after when I left and I you know I'd just be I I discovered it again and I really really liked it and I'd be like I remember being doing a I was playing Don John in a in a in a production of Much Ado About Nothing and I was sitting in the ring and I was sitting in the wings watching Jericho matches and then I had my cue and I would put my phone down and go on and do the scene and then I'd come back and then watch, watch the matches because there was no dressing room so I was just sitting there watching matches and listening out you know uh no i'd so so it wasn't something i held at the time but it is there are definitely lessons from my drama school days that i do bring into wrestling a lot kind of sometimes subconsciously but sometimes very very purposefully um okay so let's let's dive into the the sort of origins of the spike trevay character um, you said you you trained at the Projo. Um, how how long were you kind of training at the Projo, and how how soon did you start to come up with the idea for the Spike Trevay character? And what was that sort of process of um, figuring out who your character was going to be? The process. Well, I, I was there. I started training in uh, January of two thousand and uh, I think it was January of two thousand and sixteen, and I was. And I debuted against Chuck Mambo on the 8th of August. So I was training for, uh, so I trained for like eight months and I was there most days. 
because um, it just gave me a sense of purpose and I you know, was there a lot. Um, the Spike Trevate character just kind of happened by accident. We, you know, I had, we had all these different ideas of characters and I knew that I wanted to take a character route rather than just be a wrestler. Uh, and then one day we were just doing promo class and this guy and, and, and the coach was like, put me with a, put me with a girl. Uh, we were doing like improvisations and he put me with this girl from uh, Basingstoke and he went and he just went, uh, okay. Cause I am from Cambridge and he was like, and she, and he goes, right. Cambridge versus Essex go. And we just had to have a conversation and I, I and I don't really know what happened, but it, somehow it just, it just clicked. And I, she said something like, she was really nervous, bless her. She'd never, she didn't really do stuff like that. And she said, uh, and I said something about, it was, it was really over the top. And I just said something about like, she should come to, she should come to my estate and shoot my grouse or something. And she said, what? And she said, what? And she said, what's grouse? And I was like, it's a bird. It's a type of bird. And uh, she said, and, and she said, and she went, what's a bird? I think she was doing, she was just nervous. She didn't really know what to do in that environment. And she just, and she went, uh, what's a bird? And I was like, well, a bird, it's like a winged, it's like a, it's like a winged creature. Like the thing that's closest to you is probably a chicken, which I'm sure that, you know, chicken, I mean, and the closest thing to that to you is probably KFC. And then I said something like, I'm, and then I said, and then I said something like, I'm sure you, your mother must work there or something like that. And then the room, and I didn't, you know, and the room was like, ah, and then, and then I'd learnt from days of rehearsal, right, that when you're trying to find something, it's not, and you can't find it. And then one day you do find it, the scene will end. And then you'll turn and you'll look into the rehearsal room and everybody will be sitting there with their eyes wide, nodding their head at you. And I remember, and I, that was something, you know, and that's when you're like, I've got it, I'm onto something. And that was, and then I turned and everybody in the room was doing that moment. Everybody was nodding their head at me. And I was like, there's something here. And then somebody was just like, and then I think somebody was like, I don't think anybody's doing Posh Boy right now. So maybe you should give that a go. And then, uh, and then that's where it started. And then it became me trying to find my own way with it and turn it into something that I would like to watch, turn it into something that I thought was interesting and turn it into something that suited uh, modern day, you know, modern day, modern day Britain and the modern day world. And, and, uh, and then it just kind of came from there really. And, uh, and then I, yeah, it just sort of came from there. And so one thing that I'm really interested in, and you, you've started, you mentioned the word character there that you, you knew quite early on that you wanted to be a, a character wrestler. Um, yeah. Can you kind of explain what, what you kind of mean by that, being a character wrestler? Because often we, this, this word gets banded around with um, gimmick and wrestlers think of um, their persona or their work in terms of their gimmick. Um, can you just talk a little bit about character? Because Spike, Spike never strikes me as a gimmick. He, he feels like a, a very... No, that's, really, character. that's really interesting. Why, why, does he not, why do you, does he not strike you as a, as a gimmick? Um, I guess because... I can imagine Spike as a fictional character rather than as a wrestler that's got an idea, a wrestler that presents itself presents himself in a certain way. I could imagine Spike being in a comic book or something like that. 
mm-hmm. um, if that makes sense. Yes. Um, yeah, absolutely. Well, that's great. Thank you very much. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think the word gimmick is pretty, to me, I think the word gimmick is about, gimmick to me is, is like an advert. So how can, you know, what's the, how can I make myself, how can I make myself as understandable as, and, and, as, and as relatable as quickly as possible? So you know who I am, you know, what, you, know, you know what I am. So, you know, a good example is Chuck Mambo is a surfer. You know, that he comes out, oh, he's a surfer. You know, he comes and he does that. And it's sort of like just a very quick way of people going. Because I think that with wrestling, it's much easier to, it's much easier if people can just connect with what you are. People can just see what you are straight away and, uh, and kind of go, oh, I know what that is. And that's much easier. So, you know, so with, with Spike, I think, you know, the gimmick is Posh Boy. You know, that's the gimmick. It's, it's Posh Boy. Um, uh, and also in wrestling as well, the gimmick is just the word that you use for everything. You just, where's the gimmick? What's the gimmick? You know, what are we doing today? What's the gimmick? Where's my gimmick? You know, like, it, it's just the word that people use. It just, it just sort of thing or like whatever. Um, but I think the difference between that is... So that, so that, to, that to me is, is what a gimmick is. And I think a character is when you start to develop that gimmick into a fully fledged person mm. on whom, I think this is the important. Oh, we've frozen a bit there. <laughs> this is the important bit. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's, to the extent that it's frozen with you, with your finger out, about, <laughs> about to make a really interesting point, but then it's frozen. Classic. Uh, let's hope that he comes back. Mm-hmm. Um, while you can edit this out, right, Sam? Yeah. Right, <laughs> you know, while he is frozen, is there, have you got any thoughts so far on, on where that conversation was going? So, yeah, like I... Um, I was for me, Spike Ray is one of like the, the best characters on the British scene, and I think he's the best character because, like, there is a kind of a believability to him, and like I I like that in my heels. So like, I I want I want to boo that character like very like and and Spike Ray allows me to do that because I am a little bit like what you were saying, Sam. Like you believe you believe him as, as the same way as you would do a fictional character. So mm-hmm. if I'm watching a film. And some and an actor is playing a baddie in a film. I cannot like them. That's fine. But I still, I, I, I don't miss the fact that there's an actor behind it, and that doesn't, that doesn't get rid of the enjoyment of thinking they're a baddie. That just, that just, you know, that just is what it is. It's the, it's the genre. And for me, Spike Trevay works in exactly the same way. So when I watch Simon play Spike Trevay, like I can separate those two in a really kind of positive way and just boo Spike Trevay. And like, and I think for me, that means that I can, I can, I can hate him more, <laughs> like, because I'm not like hating on an actual person. I'm hating on a character. And so that, that kind of disconnect for me kind of allows me to appreciate him as a heel much more than if I associated them really closely together as the person, the person, Simon and the, and the, the character Spike Trevay so mm-hmm. so for me that's one of the reasons why it works so well as a heel and like I find um yeah there's that 
heal characters that I can really believe in. And I actually has like a visceral response to that, to the performance that's going on in front of me are the best heel characters, right? Mm. Yeah, definitely. And uh, yeah, there's, um, I guess like, it's interesting that he talks about um, the, the gimmick as being thirst and then, and, and that, that idea of a pot, oh, no one's doing a posh boy gimmick. And that being a sort of, because wrestling does have those kind of templates you can see. I mean, Ric Flair is in, is in that sort of, you know, is, is probably the classic example um, of, of that sort of um, character type. And wrestling has like multiple different character types. It has the underdog, you know, the, the superhero, baby face, things like that. The, the anti-hero, like this kind of stone cold mold. Um, and it, and it, it's a trope, but then you have someone like um, Simon who comes comes and, and brings a kind of intelligence and this sort of acting background, takes that trope and then um, is able to build kind of layers of, you know, layers of nuance and um, sophistication to the character. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not just about like that million dollar man thing of like, I've got loads of money, so I'm better than you. Like, so... I guess that Spike Trevay could be like that because you always get the sense of like, he's, you know, swilling champagne. You always get the sense of that, like superiority because of money, but actually it doesn't fall back on that slightly dull trope. It's more like ideological than that. So it's Mm. more about like, it's more about a clash of ideology than a class of economics. And I think that's why it works so well. And that's why you really, you really just want to boo him because like if it, you know, often in, often in rest, sometimes in wrestling, like you end up with that character who is like really well off and is, is almost like, oh, I aspire to be like him a little bit, but you don't aspire to be like Spike, <laughs> like at all. Like he somehow manages to turn it around. So all you, all he is is a heel. Like, and I say that in a totally brilliant way. Like you really, you know, you really kind of feel, feel that, feel the heelishness of, of mm-hmm. Spike Jabay. It's not just reliant on like, well, he's rich, so let's not like him because we're not rich. Like that's, it's, it's just been done so many times. Whereas I think the character of Spike Gervais does something, does something different with that mold, like quite, quite profoundly different. I can't actually think of like, I can't really think of a, a kind of modern wrestler who I can see, I can think of historical kind of examples, which are similar to this, like you talk about Ric Flair and mm-hmm. things, but I can't really think of a contemporary wrestler who fits this mold in the same way. I think it's quite a unique yeah. character actually. Yeah, and I think really the the real strength, and hopefully he should be coming back in in a minute. He said the, <laughs> his internet connection should have gone, so he's going to try and come back in. I think the real strength is the way he's been able to um, re- subtly reinvent it and develop yeah. it, yeah. and ch- and change it. So it's not, and it's, they're not kind of radical changes. They're just sort of these um, details that he adds and these aspects that he drops. So like mm-hmm. when he first, when the, when the when the character first came on the scene. This is something we'll hopefully get his his view on. There was this, you know, very overt Tory, you know, association mm. with the Tory government, um, particularly Theresa May at the time, mm. um, which he's gradually, you know, now he's kind of gradually fade, phased out and he's moved more into. And this is why I think it's so, it was so fascinating that he sent us that Moriarty um, yeah. clip from Sherwood, um, Sh- from Sherlock. <laughs> Nottingham boy speaking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is that... Um, He's he's kind of shifted really into this kind of more pure villainary yeah. kind of kind of role of that sort of the mastermind villain. Yeah, and clever. Like he, you, he has to be smart. 
Like it, if Spike Gervais is dumb, it doesn't work. Like it, he has to be. And so in some senses, what you've got to now is kind of contradicts what I've just said, which is like, now I, I kind of do want to be a bit like him in the same way as Moriarty. Like you kind of, you know, Moriarty's a villain and you know, he's a baddie. But at the same time, like you totally respect him and his sense that everyone around him is stupid and he's really clever. And it's just and kind of the exasperation that that causes for Moriarty. Like you can feel that in Spike Gervais' character, just like, oh, come on, guys. Like, I, you know, I'm so bored of, of all this. I'm so bored of like everyone being so stupid and me being clever. And you're beginning to get that sense, I think, in the Spike Gervais character, definitely. Hmm. All right, hopefully we are reconnecting. And what I'll ask him to do is um, turn video off. Sure. Hello, sure. Hello. I'm so sorry. That's all right. Do you, want to, um, do you want to turn your camera off? That might help with the internet connection. It's something oh, amazing. Stop. If I stop the video. Um, yeah, while you're away, we were kind of... Um, to, to use wrestling parlance, we were uh, putting you over. Oh, oh lovely. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I'll wait to listen back and see what it was you said. <laughs> um, it, yeah, I think you were, you were about to make a really interesting point, um, but I can't remember. I don't know whether you... About, character, about characters. Yeah. yeah. So, I, so I think the difference between... So to me, the difference between the gimmick is that... Uh, sorry if, to those who are listening, but like, so the gimmick is obviously... A gimmick is the thing where you sell that, you, that sells yourself instantly, I think, and it's it's sort of like a, it's a caricature to you know to let people know who you are and how they should feel about you. To I think it's just an easy selling point. To me, a character, a character that's a gimmick. To me, a character is a fully is a fully fledged person who is defined by their want. It's they're defined by their want, their desire, and their tactics of how they're going to do it. And as a result, what we get is behavior that we can always depend on. Mm. And I think that that is the thing, that is the thing that I think makes for, I think that is the thing that makes for, and, and as a result, that's where I think compelling stories come from. Mm. I think they come from characters, you know, and I think that's, you know, and I think to me, that's what's the most, you know, a good, exa a good example is you can all, you know, we can always rely on Spike to do the, to go low. You know, we all can always rely on him to go low. What's he going to do in this situation? He's going to go low. He may go low intelligently. You know, he's not stupid but he's never going to, he's not going to take the high road. He might pretend that he's going to take the high road, but he's not going to take the high road. And we know that about him, you know? And that's good because it means that whenever the time comes for, for Spike to not make that decision, that's when it's the most surprising because we rely on, because we're, because we know, we, well, we believe we know who he is. And I think that is the best wrestling characters. Those are the best wrestling characters. The ones, you know, the ones, Stone Cold was a gimmick, but you always knew that he was defined by who he was as a person and what he wanted, you know, and you always knew he was going, you know, you always knew he was going to stunner someone. And that was not about his gimmick. That was about his character. 
Yeah, and I wonder how that relates to your like past as an actor, because as you're talking, I'm reminded of a lot of like kind of key key elements of actor training where it's about consistency of character, right? Yeah, you have to like don't don't do something that feels that kind of feels out, you know, out of character. Like, yeah, okay, you can have changes in that character. It develops and it's and it matures or it regresses or whatever. Of course, you can do those things, but you have to. You, you have to convince, you have to kind of carry the audience with you, right? In order to ca- have the legitimacy to make those changes. Otherwise it just feels odd. Like characters, if you get something totally out of character, it just feels like it just sort of disturbs your um, appreciation of what other story and stuff. So I, I wonder if that kind of fits in, whether, whether you kind of think just, over just, that yeah, in that's reference the thing. to your acting. Um, I feel like the sort I, I feel like the kind of who he is is kind of so in, um, I was gonna say it's so embedded in me, but I feel like the I, I I so I know him so well that I know what's the right you know what is the right thing for him to do like you know what you know what's the right decision. But sometimes I think the thing you have to be careful about when you're what doing characters in wrestling, the thing that I found very difficult or not very difficult, I found very difficult to keep other people to stop me from doing this, is is trying to trying to make him a character while trying to stay away from wrestling tropes mm. right so there is a thing and i find and it i make it, it feels i always feel really bad when this happens but if i'm working with a wrestler particularly you know and it tends to you know it, it's not a particular anything really that's unfair if i'm working with a wrestler and they say these words to me well you're a heel so mm. oh i instantly become quite turned off by it i'm instantly yeah. i'm a heel i'm not a person and i think that's why um and I think that that is, and I think that is, you know, and there's always like, well, I'm a baby face, so I have to do this. And, and it's like, no, you don't. Mm. You don't have to do that. You only have to do what your character would do. And also, and also the thing about it is, is it, it, it requires people to have some imagination, which everybody has, that, you know, it's, it's like, well, I, d- I, d- I don't believe, I don't know if the fans will believe that Spike will do that. If I stand in front of them and I do this, then they will go, oh, Spike has just done that. Mm. And then we have a new, and then, and then, and then we have a new dynamic, you know? And I think that's, that's the point is with, with characters as, as well in wrestling is that, you, is that you, you need to be brave with it. But yeah, if you, you know, you can keep, we, we did this thing at drama school, which I do a lot in, in acting uh, and wrestling which you make a pie chart or you, or you make a list of six characteristics, you know, and then you can keep it in. So it's, you know, Spike is, uh, you know, he's spiteful, he's intelligent, he's charismatic, he's vindictive, he's, um, he's, ang- you know, he's angry and there's a, there's a, there's a uh, and he's, and he's, he's bitter, you know, and those things come from little, uh, I guess, backstories that I've written for myself. To me, I think that's, I think, I think that's really important. I think if you can create a, a fully fledged, um, character and you can keep it away from wrestling tropes and do things based off what you believe your character would do then your stories are so much richer and i believe your matches can be so much richer as well mm. you know i'm nowhere near i've had some particularly with the resurgence and retired i'd like to think i've had some pretty good showings where people have been like wow i didn't expect that was going to happen and it's like well it's because i worked from my character rather than tried to have the most athletic Matt, and as a result, I believe that I stood out.
you know, and, uh, you know, that's why, that's why working with Cara Noir is my favorite thing because he's my favorite person to work with. There are loads of people who I love working with, but that's why he's my favorite. Because I think if you work, you can work with him, you know, and he's so willing to work from the perspective of Cara, not from the perspective of a baby face. Yeah. You know, I think that's so, you know, that's so important. And, uh, and also he's quite happy to play. I mean, he's quite happy to play and just do whatever I've seen him have matches that are based off of fairy tales. Mm. I saw him have, he's one of the most creative people I've ever worked with. And I think he's, I think, but I think that's, you know, that's really, that's really what I think is the difference between uh, all of that to say, that's the difference between a character and a gimmick. Yeah. yeah. No, it's really, it's really fascinating. And it's, um, it's really interesting because it's linking up with um, similar conversations that we've had in recent episodes with, with Gene in particular about the Gene Money character and also um, Debbie Keitel that we spoke to. There was a similar kind of, um, similar sort of ethos and a similar um, treatment of, of character. And one of the things that we spoke about with both of them was this idea of um, the wrestling company or the people running the wrestling company is almost like casting characters in roles or, you know, who, if Resurgence is a film, who are the characters that are going to be in that film and what's their, their, their role going to be in that film? Um, and Spike, Gene, Cara. I mean, yeah. you can kind of tell the names that, you know, that, that we work with in Resurgence. And it's precisely because of those reasons, because you can take those brilliant characters and then let you guys express yourself, express your characters in different situations. Yeah, which you do with you and uh, Riptide and a few other places do, do very well. Yeah, it's very, it's, very, it's very freeing to say the least. Mm. Yeah, so on on that idea, I want to talk. You sent us a couple of um, sort of clips to watch. Um, one was um, from the TV series Sherlock, the the recent um, sort of modern ab- adaptation of Sherlock, and the um, film Django Unchained, the Quentin Tarantino film. Yeah. Um, could, you, could you just um, talk a little bit about um, about uh, about why those things um, st- stood out to you and how they how you see them as relating to your work as a wrestler and, and wrestling kind of storytelling. Uh, sorry, can you just say that last part again? So you cut out just for a tiny second. In wrestling storytelling was a bit last bit. Yeah, so just how you see, um, what you see is, what you take from those things that you sent us um, and how you um, use them in wrestling and wrestling storytelling. I think we've got, have you, is that a freeze again? Um, yeah. no, no, we well, I mean, so, um, but can you can you hear me? Yeah, you're a little you're sort of a little bit choppy. Um keeps dropping out a little bit. Hold on, let me see if my I think we've either got a, a, another freeze or uh or delay. Yeah, it might require a bit of editing this one, Sam. <laughs> yeah. I mean with in a in a way sort of um anticipating uh what what spike might might tell us about the reason he selected those those pieces of material what was your kind of view on claire on what did you see and did you see something in the kind of sherlock clips and that that made you think about spike's character and things like that yeah totally so i found them both really like helpful to understand the spike character better Uh, i think also to understand the spike character as somewhat detached from what i what i initially imagined spike to be when i first saw some from spike which was like i thought oh it's like the, the tory character okay i know what this is whereas actually when you read the character through 
the two clips he sent, it's really different. Like, um, and kind of allowed me, allowed that character to expand in my mind a little bit. Um, I think both like the, the, um, the Calvin Candy, Candy, I think that's his name, in Django Unchained, and, and the Moriarty character in particular. So more Moriarty than Sherlock, actually, which I imagine that he wanted us to think about. But, like, both of them are, like, are, like, villainous, but at the same time kind of kind of cool in their villain, villainy, like, um, in a way, like, you... Um, yeah, like there's a there's a sense I think that they're both super smart and that they're like controlling the room. And for me, the way that those two allow me to think about think about the spike character more was around cadence and tempo. So what I've always felt about the about Spike Trevay is that he's just able to kind of control the room with his voice and like and the cadence and the tempo is absolutely vital to where that character functions. Like that you, you have this particular gaps before words or you just take a breath and you have a moment of silence, which just brings the audience in. So the cadence of everything, of all those kind of the spike Trevay moments that link, sort of linger in my mind. So the cadence is really important, I think, of the speech. And it's the same for Moriarty and for Leonardo DiCaprio and Django Unchained in that like, there's the sense of like the the there's a danger there, but the danger is in the cadence of the voice, like the the way that silences uh, are interspersed with the kind of kind of the quiet voice. And then in that clip that that we watched, like Moriarty suddenly has this sort of outburst, and I, I was like, oh yeah, that's totally. I see those three those three different cadences of kind of vocalizing in Spike Trevay's performance all the time that like you see the kind of the, the silence moments you see the kind of just drawing in the kind of quiet voice where you just have to kind of listen in and you see the kind of explosion of sort of anger that comes sometimes as well so I could see all three of those tropes in the Spike Trevay character really yeah. clearly yeah hello everyone I think I think I've my internet's not going to keep me out damn it hello <laughs> Hello. <laughs> uh, did you catch um, what Claire was, was talking yeah, about? Yeah, I caught the end of it. Yeah, talking about uh, Moriarty and Django Unchained things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, those are very nice words. I really. Yeah. I mean, that's. Yeah. It's, I'm glad. I'm glad that. I'm glad that comes through. I think that the, the cadence is the cadence is really interesting because it's a representation of. Um, I think there's there's some. Eddie Dennis said this. Uh, the best advice I think I've, one of the things I've ever been given is from Eddie Dennis, who I take a lot of my advice from. Um, and he said, if, if you're looking for inspiration for wrestling, don't look for it inside wrestling. Try to find it somewhere else and try to bring it in. And so, you know, being an actor is a big, you know, big movie and play buff and all that kind of stuff. And, and I think that with the with those two with those two characters, what they represent really well, which I think is represented in their cadence, like like you said, is that is that is you're you're drawn in by this this charm. You know, they're charming and 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 they're not really doing anything wrong. They're not there's nothing, you know, they're not they're not being aggressive. They're not I mean, obviously when we meet Calvin Candy in Django, he's watching two slaves fight to the death, but you know, obviously that's not great, but I think the, um, it's, it's about like the way that they engage with you. It's not, you know, it's not, they're not doing anything wrong. They're being fine, but there's something really menacing that you can't mm. quite 
you don't really know what it is, but you just know you don't want to get on the wrong side of them. And then when it finally, when you, when it explodes and you see it, you're, when it explodes and you see, uh, and, and you see it, you, you're surprised, but you're not surprised. You know, you knew it all along, but you also didn't. And that's a really, uh, and that's really, you know, and that's very, very scary. And I think that is something that very recently I've managed to get some people to, you know, realize and see in Spike Treve's is that he's quite menacing. You know, he's quite yeah. a, he's quite a menacing character. He's not, you know, he's not, um, he's, you know, you can beat him up as much as you want and you can, you know, and he's, you know, he's, and we get, and we get joy from watching him get beat up, but it, to, to be on the wrong side of him is not a good place to be, mm. you know, and that's, uh, and, and that's, where those characters kind of come in from the inspiration, you know, I, I, you know, I recommend both those performances anyway, just as performances, but mm. um, you know, that's a lot of where the inspiration came in from them. Yeah, that's really fascinating. Cause um, it, I, th- I think people maybe that aren't hugely familiar with wrestling might, might actually find that surprising the way that um, wrestlers, you know, take and borrow material from outside of wrestling and, 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 take it and um, incorporate it into their wrestling work. Gene, yeah. Gene mentioned things like um, shooting stars and uh, Reeves and Mortimer. And oh, I yeah. speaking to Cara Noir in the past, he, he references Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin. Yes. So it's really, it really is like, you know, fascinating how these different kind of performance practices can get, um, can, can find a place in wrestling performance. Um, I want to just, before moving on, to, I want to talk a, a little bit more about you and Cara and that, that kind of feud and resurgence. Um, but I want to firstly just ask you a little bit about the, how, how the character has kind of developed and changed over the last few years. Um, when, when Spike arrived on the scene, there was quite, some quite direct references to the fact that he, was a, he, he might be a Tory supporter um, you, you, I mean, you, you actually played Theresa May in an attack, an attack show, so you know, can't get more yeah, obvious. That way. But then now we kind of, the way I see, I saw the, the Spike Trevay just before lockdown was that it was ta- he was taking on more of that sort of um, Moriarty kind of characteristics of being much yeah. more kind of pure villain rather than, um, rather than just, you know, someone who was a Tory supporter or came from a privileged background. Can you just talk a little bit about that, that process of change of, do you agree with that for a start? And then, you know, you know, yeah. Do you agree with that? And, and if so, can you just talk us through that a little bit? I, I do agree with it. I think that, um, I, I do agree with it a lot. I feel that, I feel that, um, I, when, when he, when I first started, it's when I first started, as I, as I said before, he was a gimmick, you know, the idea was to walk through, through a curtain and for people instantly to know who I was and, and, and what they felt about me, right? And uh, and um, and from there, it's just been about sort of. I think a lot of it has to do with rolling with the crowd. You know, it's about like reacting to the crowd and reacting to the way they react to me. You know, I've always been very, very clear about the fact that I have never, ever said that Spike is a Tory once, mm-hmm. ever, 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 and I never, ever will say whether he is or he's not. Because it's because it's or whether or actually this is important whether I am or I'm not because because that's not because it's because it's not important you know it's that is not important it's it's um 
because it kind of breaks the illusion. And I think that people, it's just been really interesting to see how people have responded to him. And as a result, that's what I've rolled with. You know, people called me a Tory and people called me a Tory and, and, and they kept it going and going and going and going. And now it's almost like just before, so frustrating, just before lockdown, I was at a point where I was like, I'm finally getting away from the Tory thing. Like I'm finally, finally getting away from it. And then lockdown happened and I was like, oh God, I'm gonna have to go back and start all over again. But um, I think the uh, I th character develop, I think wrestling, wrestling development can happen uh, with the wrestler on their own. So like the wrestler can have matches and get better in, in the ring and, they can, uh, you know, wrestle people better than them and they can become better in the ring and have better matches. And that's obviously really important. Mm -hmm. um, we think with character development, I think character development is, is nigh on impossible if you don't have at least one or two promotions who are willing to roll with that. Because character development takes time. Good character development takes time. Uh, and you need to work with promotion and you need promotions who are willing to roll with it. You need the, you need promotions that are willing to work with you and trust you in your vision, but are also happy to put their ideas in and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, you need promotions not to be bounded by, well, I don't know if, I don't know if, if he would do that, you know, you need, you know, that's a reasonable conversation to have, but you, you, you need, you know, and you need promotions that are, and you need promotions that are going to facilitate moments in front of crowds and put on camera moments that will show us who this person is and who this person is becoming. And without that, it's really, really difficult. It's really, really difficult to do that without, without having a promotion to back you you know, and, um, but it can, but it can be done. You know, I mean, we, I had a, I had a long standing feud in Riptide for a long time. Um, and, uh, the person that I was feuding with was, um, had basically avenged themselves, had basically, uh, got revenge on me. And then they wanted to get me to fight them. And my point of view and my character's point of view was I'm not going to fight you. It's not going to happen because I don't, there's nothing for me there's nothing there for me I, like what am i why, why am i gonna let you beat me up doesn't make any sense there's nothing in that for me at all and so then we did a so then at riptide we did a thing where i said well why don't we base we, we need to do a bit of a change we need to turn this into um we need to turn uh spike from this sort of cocky this sort of cocky funny tory supporter into this horrible villain and we, we've got to do it quickly so we did the thing we did a thing over the over the um the show where i opened the show uh with jordan breaks he uh and at the time jordan breaks was a total underdog and no one thought he was going to beat me and we and i came out doing this big loud promo swearing making everybody laugh which was really important and i get in and loads of wrestlers, particularly baby faces, really hate that when they because they don't want you know because they're like well heels don't aren't aren't entertaining and I just think that's bollocks. I think that's I think that's ridiculous. If you look at 
you know, if you look at things like tragicomedy, the way tragicomedy works is that we have a hero who, or a heroine, it's traditionally a hero, so I'll use the pronoun of he for this particular example, who will, um, you know, he will, he will spend the first act making you laugh, doing charismatic things, being funny, all that kind of stuff so that you get behind him so that in the second half when something horrible happens to him you instantly feel 10 times more sad mm. you instantly become more sad and so i so my goal was to get people to kind of make people laugh and so that they're like oh he's a bad guy but he's a bad guy that we can get behind so by the end of the show when i really revealed myself to be a real piece of shit they're like oh my god they hate me even more because they fell for the trick, right? They fell because they fell for my charisma. And that's the worst thing when you fall for a person's charisma and it's all been for nothing. It's all been because they're manipulating you, you know? So, so we had me lose. So we had me come out here, be really arrogant, act like I wasn't going to win. I know, act like I, that, there's no way I could lose. And the fans didn't think I was going to lose because he was lower on the totem pole than me. And then we just had him beat me in eight minutes. Then we had clean and then I left and then I ended up having to be dragged out, kicking and screaming. Then halfway through, we had an incident where Ridgeway was in, was uh, Chris Ridgeway as person I'm, I have a lot of personal fondness for was uh, in our, um, was in our stable, but he had, uh, you know, gotten his dream job of going to work for Noah, right? In Japan. And we, and, and we had to basically get rid of him. We had to get rid of him quickly. And so we had me, so we had him come out, win a match. I'm angry because I've lost the match. I've lost my match. So we come out and I, you know, we, we're going to attack this person. Ridgway stands in the way and he's like, don't attack him. There's no reason for this. There's no reason for you to do this. And so I push him. He comes onto me, he comes onto me to fight me because he's obviously bigger and tougher than me. And then the second he turns his back, I punch him in the back of the head, kick him all over the floor. And then I go and get a chair and then I double pilmanize him in front of everybody. And I use a line and I used a line that I stole from Bill the Butcher in Gangs of New York. And I looked him dead in the face and I said, you look at this. I want you to see this. And then I smashed his leg in front of everybody and everybody. And then it was like, and then it's like, oh, this is, this is different. What a horrible, horrible human being he's got. And not only that, he's got this legit karate strong style fighter on the floor writhing in agony which chris ridgeway was very kind enough to do for me and then at the end of the show when the person i was having the rivalry won the rumble i came out and i was completely different i was quiet and like you said claire about cadence i was quiet and looked desperate and i put a bit of white makeup on my face so i looked a bit more gaunt and a little bit more desperate and 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 sunken and i said to him and i said to him right you've and i said to him this is a one-time offer you get to fight me but you've got to put this rumble shot on the line because i want that rumble shot and and, and we had all the fat and and you know and then my opponent looked to the crowd as if to you know expecting them to all be like yeah, 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 do it, do it, do it. And I remember the crowd going, don't do it. It's not worth it. It isn't worth it. So they already knew that it was going to go wrong. You know, they were like, don't do it. It isn't worth it. It's not worth sacrificing everything you've worked for just for him to manipulate you like this. And then when he chose to fight me, I remember everyone in the crowd went, oh, no. You know, they all knew. 
and somehow and, and and that was it and it was just over the course of the show we had managed to turn me from one thing into another mm. you know what i mean we had managed to advance me but i did but i think this is really important for anybody who wants to run a promotion i could not have done that on my own i simply could not have done that on my own and character development needs promotions to get behind it and that is why we don't and that is why there are so few fully fledged real characters in british wrestling because wrestler because wrestling promotions don't get behind them they don't develop them they don't give them the time or the space uh, to take the risk of letting them do something in front of the crowd that's going to make the crowd see them as something different mm. you know just because it hasn't got a fucking Canadian destroyer in it, you know, and, and, and that's so important. And I think when we, as we come back, you know, post vaccine and post COVID, I think that's really important that we, we do that, you know, we let, we let young wrestlers grow and we don't just tell them what to do and we don't just rely on it on their, you know, you know, God, they didn't, they didn't have like a five star strong style match. Yeah. Well, if every, match on the card is a five star strong style match then five star strong style matches get fucking boring yeah and yeah, yeah i agree you know? I, I i as somebody who loves character like the characters of wrestling in essence more than i love wrestling if you see what i mean by that statement um then i totally appreciate it i wondered like I, I sorry to throw in an extra question sam but I, just as you're talking i'm like taken back to your comment about being a, what like being in much do about nothing and watching jericho matches because like the way that you describe that process feels really shakespearean to me and i i, I mean genuinely using that word like I'm sort of think I'm sitting here thinking this is like how Iago works in Othello, right? Without wanting yes. to like throw in my theatre bit, but like this is like you start with Iago and you're like, oh, he seems okay. He like he seems fine. Like he seems okay. He's, he's a bit sneaky though, and and, and the, but the character develops the way through. And like in three hours, within three hours, you have a to by the end of that, you have a totally different character. Like yes. The characteristics are similar, so you 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 believe in the process. It's not like you're going no. from being like a goodie to a baddie or something like you're not doing polar opposites, but you can see the character development, and it just feels like just the way that you describe that just felt like kind of a, like about a number of kind of Shakespearean villains that I can think of who kind of just have a, such a depth of character that they can they can shift and change during during one performance and still be really convincing to us and still be villainous Absolutely. more villainous absolutely and i think that that's you know that isn't just about characters changing i think it's also about like you know like a massive part of wrestling is the is uh you know it you know happens so much and it's really it can be it can be quite frustrating uh at, at first when people bring this word up but a big part of wrestling is the swerve you know yeah. where how are we going to how are we going to accomplish the swerve and 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 the reason that most swerves do not work is because the promotion did not spend enough time making sure that the making sure that the character was reliable, right? We take somebody like Chuck Mambo, right, and we make sure that this isn't happening in any promotion. Just so you know, I'm not giving a storyline away. But you take a character like Chuck Mambo, you invest in him for nine months and you make sure that every single time he is seen on, every, every time he is seen in the ring or in front of the crowd, he is behaving in a certain way. 
and therefore he becomes reliable and therefore his behavior becomes reliable. We always know Mambo is going to take the right way out. We always know that he's going to, he's, he would rather lose valiantly than win badly. We always know that he is going to choose people over wins. We always know these things about him, right? And again and again and again and again and again, and we drill it in and we put time in and we invest in it. And that way, when he super kicks TK Cooper in the back of the head, mm-hmm. it is a shock. Yeah. And that is, just as much, that is just as much character development as allowing Spike to go from a, 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 you know, a, an in-your-face Tory caricature to a serious villain. And that's just another part of it. And I think that's what we, we, we have to strive for that when we come. I know that you guys do. I know I'm preaching to the, the choir, really. But like, we have to strive for that when we come back. Because we did get to, a, I believe we got to a point in British wrestling where going out there and trying to have the best match on the card in many ways was counterproductive unless you were having the best match on the card. Mm. You know, and, uh, and I am very aware that that's not my bag, you know, so it's easy for me to be like, well, we shouldn't be doing that. But, you know, you go, know I mean, yes. Yeah, well, I see your point though, 100%. Yeah, that's no, really fascinating. Um, and again, it's, it's really nice that it's sort of fitting into other conversations that we're having and, you know, other ideas are kind of coming and being supported in different ways. I'm just, I'm aware that we haven't got a huge amount of time left. Um, but I want to sort of bring it back into some of the, some of your kind of journey and resurgence. Sorry, I know I did grab one of it. <laughs> no, I mean, I think we could easily do another episode on this, but um, so, yeah, like one of the things that I think people won't be kind of aware of is, and you, you've you've spoken, kind of spoken around it in in the stuff to do with um, Riptide and the emphasis that you've placed on companies having a having a focus on storytelling and a commitment to characters. Yeah. Um, are you? Do you, would you consider yourself to be an an anomaly in terms of the way that you engage creatively with companies? Because at Resurgence. Um, your there's there's a kind of a group of people that we work with at resurgence who who are really engaged in the creative process wrestlers that are engaged in the creative process uh yourself um Cara noir gene yeah. uh charlie evans you know the, the people that surprise surprise have you know fairly prominent roles in resurgence and have done really well in resurgence are the people that engage with us on on a creative level i'm, I'm assuming that's kind of the case in riptide but do you think that's something that's sort of unorthodox or it's be- is it something that's becoming or needs to become more common practice like, i'm not sure that's a question it's just a sort of statement that i wondered what your I opinion think, was on that i think that i'm i'm a person that has to be stopped i will go and go and go and go and go and i will make suggestions and if you know i'm i'm, I'm well aware i'm, I'm self-aware enough that when the, when the promoter steps in and says, I don't want to do that, that's an absolute no, then I'm always like, fine, it's your, it's your thing, I'll do what you want. You know, I'm very aware of that. I, hope, I certainly hope that's the case. But um, I think that we do, I think that um, it's very good to have, you know, I think it's very good to be able to have conversations with wrestlers and say, what do you want? What do you want to do? What's the right thing to do for you? You know, how would you behave in this? How do you think this should happen? Where do you think this should go? Because I think that there's a lot of, there can be a 
a sort of unfortunate uh, example of, you know, people, people uh, prescribing to wrestlers what they are and who they are, you know, and, and that's dangerous. And that's where characters get lost. And there are promotions in this country, there are promotions that are prominent promotions in this country that I have worked for where I, where, where Spike has gotten lost because I'm singing from somebody's, I'm singing from, I'm reading somebody's script rather than contributing what I believe is how I should behave and how I should be represented and how I would act, you know? And I think that that's, I think that is really important. And I think that, you know, when people reach out to, and I, you know, I think it's, it's, you know, you guys and Riptide and a couple of other places, North is really good at this as well. Um, you know, it's, we try to do this at ambush as much as we possibly can. That's pretty much our main ethos is, is, um, if you, if you, if you open your door, if you open your ears to a wrestler's, most wrestlers sort of creative, if you open the door to their creative side, it will flood out, you know, and, and it will, and they'll tell you what they think and they might, you know, they might be wrong, but it is, it is pretty mad when you speak to a wrestler who has not been asked how they want to be represented or, or, or who they think they are. And then you ask them and then you see their eyes light up and mm -hmm. then, you know, and then, and then all of a sudden, I'm sure you guys must have experienced that tons and tons of times. Cause you guys asked those questions. Um, and then all of a sudden this wonderful collaborative thing happens. And then, and then, and, and that's what gets results. And that's what, and that, and that's when you get, and that is also when you get wrestlers that care, mm. you know? the wrestlers have to care and they have to do things that they know that they are capable of doing, you know, mm. you know, it's, it's, it's a big, that's, that's a big issue. So I would, I wouldn't say that I'm necessarily an anomaly. I would say that I'm not shy about my own ideas. Mm. I think that's where I'm different is I'm not, I'm not shy about my own ideas. I know who Spike is and I want, and I want, and I, and he, and I want, and no, I'm very, very firm on the fact that like, if something's going to be done with him, then my opinion has to be heard. Mm. One of my biggest heroes is Ricky Gervais. And the, one of the reasons he's one of my biggest heroes is because uh, he, you know, there's the story of when he was, when they were first, him and Stephen Merchant were first making The Office. And then and the BBC said, right, okay, well, we're going to give you this director. We're going to do this. We need to change the strip this way. We need to do it this way. Da, 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 da. And Ricky Gervais said, no, we make it our way. You let us do it our way, or I don't want to do it at all. I'm not doing it otherwise. I'm just not doing it. And, you know, and then the story of like Stephen Merchant taking him out into the corridor and be like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm not doing it. And he, and even to this day, he still says like, I would have much rather have stayed in my office job and not done it than, than done it a different, than done it in a way that I knew was true to me. And I'd wrestlers just need to be given that opportunity and then they'll care. And when they care, that's when the storylines matter, you know? That's what I think, anyway. Yeah, well, as you know, we 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 fully endorse that that notion. Um, yeah, so just to just to conclude, then 
I wanted to just sh- just share a little anecdote about your debut in Resurgence. Um, okay. Just just because I don't think it's I don't think I've ever spoken to you about it. But um, do you recall how you kind of approached Resurgence? Like, I think I, I think I sent you a, a message asking if I could come to the show, didn't I? Yeah, it was it was re- it was one of those real like weird coincidences because I think that and this is like this is one hundred percent true that day um we as as happens and i'm sure this happens in ambush um and riptide there's a there's a, a kind of ongoing whatsapp conversation between me pete john um about what what we're planning what we want to do and that morning one of the ideas was what if spike trevay who is this person came out and attacked car at the end of the show and you emailed that same day Oh no way! Yeah, yeah. Saying I'm coming. Some I think you had some family, didn't you, at the show? Yes. Uh, I'm coming along. Um, it'd be great just to. See, I think you. It was even just a just to say hello. Was I think was the gist of your email, and I think the yes. reply was, "Well, how about you come and hit Cara Noir around the back?" Yeah, yeah. I was like, "I'll, I'll, oh, yeah." And I was like, "I'll hit Tom all day. I love hitting Tom." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was yeah. I do remember that it was crazy. Yeah, yeah. That was it. It's because uh, my partner was on the show, wasn't she? I think my partner was on the show, and my brother lives in Castle Donington, mm. and my niece is, and my and my niece is my and my partner is my niece's biggest hero. So she wanted to come. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow! What a funny story. Oh, isn't that mad? <laughs> and then um, just because, and that was obviously the the start to the build to the car and car noir match and resurgence, and then just. Um, Kind of what your reflections are on that first match with Cara, um, looking back on it, and also Claire, your kind of reflections on this, because I know, I know that Claire, you use it in a number of different academic contexts, which Simon might not really? be aware of. Aware yeah, of. I do. I, I've shown <laughs> I've shown clips of you at all sorts of conferences and stuff. <laughs> so yeah, I use it as kind of one of the kind of the kind of standout. There's a number of reasons. I'll let you talk first, but there are a number of reasons why I think it's a totally standout match. But um, yeah, I'll let you talk first, and then I'll and then I'll big it up. Wow. <laughs> Oh, thanks. That's really, really oh, well. Wow. That's great. Um, what? So, uh, what? Is, the question is just, just what? A, yeah, just because it was quite. I remember at the time it was a match that, and again, it comes back to that having people engaged in what you're doing as a company. And I, I can remember at the time you were just really super excited about after about afterwards how the match went. And I just wondered whether you, you just your reflections on that match now. You know, nearly two years removed from it. It was at the time, it was at the time, uh, and even now really, certainly, it was certainly one of, it was the most, it was the most important match I, I was ever going to have at that time. Um, I had endless um, respect for Tom um, and I looked up to him greatly and I had been on uh, I had been on car journeys with him and we had taught, we had never worked each other. And so it was really important to me because there are wrestlers who, there are wrestlers who just get you right there. And with me, you know, it was, I've, I've wrestled some really great work rate guys. I've wrestled strong style guys uh, uh, you know, and the matches kind of, and the matches up until that point, and since then, in ways have kind of gone a bit weird, because 
you know being a being a little villain it's not it's not easy to it's you know it's not easy to not to convince them not to like well this match isn't really going to be that exciting if you just kick the shit out of me and they're like well yeah but i'm the baby face and you're the heel and i'm like well yeah but it's not exciting and they're like well i'm the baby face and you're the heel and i knew that tom didn't feel that way mm. and i knew that tom was i knew that tom was 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 not like that and to me it, it was such an opportunity to show myself such an opportunity to show that I prove to show that I could uh, that I could have that kind of match, but it was to prove I wanted to prove to myself that I could hang with him. You know, I wanted to prove to my I didn't want him to afterwards to hug me and and and, and adopt me as a son, but I, I wanted but I wanted I wanted afterwards to come backstage and for him to look me in the eye and shake my hand and say, thank you and mean it. That was the most important thing that I could have done was, was, was to have, was I wanted to walk out of there and have earned his respect in the ring. That was what I wanted. And I felt like, I, and, and I, and I know that I did that. And so that's why I was so, so happy about it. And uh, it was the kind of match that I wanted to have, you know, it was, it was interesting it was funny. It was vicious. It was work rate. It was exciting. Um, it was mainly all him, but it was, but it, you know, but it was, uh, it was a real defining moment for me. And uh, yeah. And um, I think the next day I, I tweeted something like, thank you. Thank, thank God for, Thank God for generous opponents. Thank you know. Thank God for generous opponents, and I wouldn't be the wrestler that I am now if it wasn't for him. The last match that I had before lockdown was in Riptide in March, and it was the the first time that I had worked a main event with somebody where all the ideas were mine and theirs, and no one else had led it, and 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 it got really well and it was very well received and I wouldn't have had that match if it wasn't for Tom and Tom was the first person I went to when that match finished as well so that's that's why you know that that's why that was so important to me you know yeah that's really that's really cool um and then I think equally as well as speaking from a company perspective it was a real defining moment in in that early you know iterations of, of resurgence i think it was the first time where there was a match that, that that felt like oh we can actually and and this is not me take you know wanting to take any credit because it was you guys that did everything but it was like oh well the you know we we can be a we can facilitate or we can be a kind of platform for something that pushes pushes the boundaries of what wrestling is absolutely um, Absolutely. Yeah. So it was. I think it was really vindicating for us as a company when when that. Yeah, I'm so glad. Off. Yeah, uh, for me it was that moment that made me. I you know I'd spent. I we talk about the book. I spent like I don't know five six years think trying to claim that wrestling was like wrestling and theatre had something in common or like could talk to each other or whatever. And for me, yes. the one of the reasons why I talk about that much so much at conferences and kind of show bits of it and speak to academics about it is because for me that was the moment where I went, yeah, this. 
this is this is what right. I've been trying to talk about <laughs> and so like it, it, it was incredible like from my own kind of academic perspective like I I was incredibly grateful to you guys for putting on such an amazing show because I I had always felt that it was there but I I was kind of in essence sort of struggling to see it in practice and I and for me that it was just totally confirming that this was this was as I had suspected but I had never actually been able to see so it was incredibly like yeah it was very confirming for me I think there's just so many you know I could talk about this match forever but like there were so many things in that match that I appreciated in, in terms of that like there's you know the brilliant lines in it that I still kind of remember about like you know the foie gras and <laughs> which is classic yeah, and like yeah. there's um, and the cadence of that great like and Sam and I were talking about before we came on but like the cadence of that great line of like uh you're a man and not a particularly good one yeah pause Tom yeah. <laughs> and like it's so good like it's like it's it's just it, it even in the kind of a, in the heat of battle where you were kind of physically obviously drained by that point it was kind of quite a long way into the match whatever like the cadence of that is is like just perfect absolutely perfect you like it you could feel the, everyone in the crowd going whoa like it just felt such a big oh, that's, moment and that's so nice yeah yeah it's one of those moments where you in this this i'm not sure that it's necessarily unique to wrestling but wrestling does it really really well which is that you can have a single moment a really small moment that almost defines a whole story like in that that line and that moment in that match just told the whole story like within you know that ended up spanning months but you can condense it down into those those kind of individual moments and things and that's yeah. just my my view on it yeah. so and glad. i think i think also that sense of like the foot as well which i think i'd i like i think i thought about like kind of a kind of a match long tease before but not to the extent that you and cara managed to kind of do it in that match it was always like the foot the foot the foot and then that foot crack which still kind of like I think I'm not the only person in that venue that night who had kind of like a kind of like a visceral reaction to it like a kind of sick reaction to that move and I've shown that that particular clip numerous times I I did a (laughs) I did a talk at Guild Hall in February and that was the clip I showed that was like the last thing I did before lockdown like live and I showed them that moment because they were all like performance artists and live artists who were all like used to kind of rolling around in jelly and covering themselves in their own blood and stuff like that. And like the kind of that, that crack of the foot, like everyone, like there's always like a gasp, like a breath. It's, it's kind of an amazing moment yeah. for it to do that to live artists who are used to that sort of thing. I think it's testimony to how powerful that moment was. Well, that, that's so fantastic you say that. I think that it's really interesting you bring up that line because I was terrified to say that line. I was really scared to say it. I didn't want to say it at all. Uh, but I, I, I wanted to say it, but I didn't want to say it at the same time because I didn't want... Because you don't know what the line is now. And I didn't want people to think that... I didn't want people afterwards to to think that, you know, this, uh, that, that there was a moment in this match where that had been spoiled for them because, you know, this... I don't know, this person had, you know, a wrestler had, I don't even know how you'd say it. Just, I don't know, just devalid, I don't know, de, I don't know, val, validate gender norms, devalidate gender norms. I don't really know, but I felt like if I called him, if I, if I implied that he wasn't a man because he wore, because he was wearing makeup, then that would upset mm-hmm. people. And I didn't, and I'm a very firm believer that I, I'm a very firm believer that, that wrestling is art. Mm. But I believe that 
if the only art that you ever expose yourself to is art that makes you feel good and it's not challenging you and it's not reflecting real life uh, in some way, shape or form, not all the time, the mm. art that makes you feel good is very important. Mm. But if that's the only art that you, you ever expose yourself to, then I think you're missing the point. And I think that art is meant to provoke you and it's meant to make you think, you know, and I think that, um, you know, we, I think we can have characters that feel certain ways about things, obviously without any of any, any real hate, any racism, homophobia, mm. transphobia, all, all of the, all of the evil isms, you know, all of those things aside, we can, I think, you know, we need to get to a point where we can have characters that say what they say versions of what they think and get vindicated or, or, or revenged or revenge, or, you know, and, and have revenge on them and, and they get, you know, and, and the good guy comes out on top and then we prove through a story that that's not the right way to think mm. rather than banning it from the show which I think is, which I think is something that we are quite close to. And it, it makes me so sad, you know, cause I think that it's such a wrestling, such a beautiful medium to tell a story. And, uh, and I remember, I, yeah, it's just really funny that you brought that line up because I remember saying like, shall I imply that you're not really a man? And Tom doesn't care. Tom's like, yeah, do it, do it, do it, do it. Like, I don't care. Do it. Uh, tell, you know, tell me to 12, do, do, do all these things like, you know, you know, imply that, I'm lesser because I'm feminine, you know, do all of those things. And then when I, and then I'll kick your ass. And then I'm like, and I'm there like, no, but you don't have to say it. You're not the one that has to say it. You're not the one that has to say it in a university setting. You know, <laughs> yeah. you're, not the one, you're not the one that has to say that in a, in, you're not the one that has to say that in a promotion in Brighton. It's not you that has to say it. It's me that's got to say it. So I've got to take the flack for it, you know, and we, um, yeah, so it's yeah, it's really interesting that you. It's really yeah. interesting to bring that up. I do, one thing that I do want to say on on it on it being art, I think, is that I think that if one thing I think that's really important about wrestling and art is that if I'm so in the camp of wrestling being art, I really am. But I think that one thing we have to be careful of when it comes to that is wrestling being art can't just be a whistle that you blow when the wrestling purists, when the Jim Cornettes and the old schoolers and all these people come after your favorite wrestlers, when they come after the Sean and Graps for being funny, or when they come after the Gene Moneys, or they come after the Cara Noirs, or they come after the Visages, or they come after those people. It can't just be a whistle that you blow that protects the ones that make you feel fuzzy and warm. Mm. If it's art, it's all gotta be art. And if it's challenging you and if it's making you feel something, then that's okay. That's okay. You're at a wrestling show. You're perfectly safe. Yeah. Nobody's getting hurt. You're all right. And if you leave feeling a bit uncomfortable, that's okay. You know, that's, that's fine. And I think that's really important. I think that's something that you guys and particularly, particularly you and, and Riptide have been very good at is pushing for those things, you know, and North as well. Awesome. I think that's a really good place to finish. Um, some I'm sorry that really... I waffle on sometimes. <laughs> no, it's great. <laughs> uh, some, some really fascinating stuff in there. Um, yeah. And 
we'll put some like links in and um, I'll do a closing thing at the end to say where people can check out some of your matches. Obviously Riptide and ourselves are on internet wrestling television, um, independent wrestling television. So you can watch all amazing. of them. Sorry. I said, just said amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Um, well, thank yeah, you guys thanks. so much. Oh, thank you. This is fun. And I can't wait for uh, everything to, I can't wait for us to go back to some kind of new normal and for us to be able to work together again. Yeah. Looking forward to that too. <laughs> yeah. Fingers crossed. Hopefully this vaccine will uh, start to make a real difference early next year and we can, we can start planning some stuff. Well, yeah. hopefully then, but until then, I really hope that you guys are safe and anybody listening, I hope you're all safe as well. And just, you know, if times are hard, it's fine. Seek help. You're fine. We're all in it together. It's all I, good. I do quite like yeah. that the last, the last time the resurgence audience saw you was um, over the shoulder of our referee, um, Charles, being carried away. At the- oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We should do something with that. That was funny. Yeah, that, that was, was funny. Fun. Yeah, he loved he loved that, didn't he? Yeah. yeah, it was it was a really funny not not to hold you for too long, but it was a really fun show because it, it I think that you had the second match with Tom, and obviously there was some stuff with the crowd, and it left maybe a little bit of a sour note at the end of it. But yeah. then in that in that rumble, you just had so much fun. Like I remember watching you during that rumble and thinking it was almost like you were kind of um, uh, what's the word like. I know you just looked like you were having a great time throughout that whole run. Yeah, well, did I tell you about the Dudley Boys thing? Did you ever watch that? Yeah, it was, I don't think G-Man properly caught it on camera. Not come across, <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, did, I made a. After you told me, I did try and find it. Oh no! Yeah, for anybody who's <laughs> listening, there's a bit in it where like um, Rocky Mack and Damon Moser come out to the. Uh, they're a good tag team, actually. Together, they uh, they come out to the Dudley Boys music, and then the Dud- and they go, and it, you know, the firework happens, and then I said into the camera, I was like, "Oh no, it's the Dudley Boys!" And then they came out, and I was like, "Oh, it's not the Dudley Boys. I can take them." And then I stood up, and I think one of them just super kicked me, and I fell over. <laughs> yeah, that was great. That's good fun. More of those memories, please. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. definitely. Okay. Uh, right, thanks. Take care, guys. Yeah. And I'll. Bye. Thanks, Sam. Bye. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you would like to find out more about Spike Trevay, we would highly recommend checking out his work in Riptide and Resurgence, which are both available on independent wrestling TV. You can also watch his work for North Wrestling, where he is their champion, on their video-on-demand service. His match with Kara Noir in Resurgence, which we discuss in the episode, is available to watch free on YouTube. Once again, thank you thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, do check out past episodes, including interviews with Gene Money, Debbie Keitel, Shakara, Kanji, Mike Bird, and Charlie Evans. Please subscribe and leave us a review. Claire and I will be back for another episode very soon. Until then, take care.